Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the, with the coronavirus, it seems like we're becoming, we're going to come at a very serious decision point as to how to acclimate back into normal life. Uh, and one of the, a big thing that I'm noticing is uh, there's obviously two distinct viewpoints here. We've got people who are wanting to stay at home and people who want to get back to normal life. And I think it's uh, going to be really difficult for us to I, I come together. And so what I've been reading and what has really uh, kind of hit me is uh, it's really difficult to change people's minds. And there was uh, a book that I've read called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And one of the points is it's really difficult to change people's minds because they don't make decisions rationally. Uh, people are making decisions based on what they think they will be most accepted by. So if they have a group of friends or if they've got an identity that they think they should be having that gets them to be the most accepted, they will choose that far and away over some type of rational factfulness. So the quote that, uh, you know, I've been kind of thinking about is, you know, these false beliefs uh, could be factually false, but they're not, but they're socially inaccurate. So they're socially accurate. So it's just really interesting because I think as we continue forward, um, it, it's given me some context to say, you know, what are people, where do people segment themselves and where do they think they will get the most respect from like different valued peers? So that's, uh, that's kind of something I've been thinking about because we've been getting a lot of text messages, you know, both for um, getting back to work and, and not. So I just think it's a pretty, the next couple of weeks, I think that's going to be a really interesting movement. Well, that's um, kind of an extension of the whole crowd mentality. You know, you mm -hmm. um, make decisions that you think will be great, you know, accepted by the crowd as opposed to like you making the decision because you think it's the right decision. I think that's one of the huge um follies but also like ordering characteristics of beings because imagine the world where people had no social consciousness in terms of weighing the social impact of what would occur we would have essentially no order in the society whatsoever right yeah yeah you'd you would have, have absolute fucking chaos you have sociopaths running around you would have every person acting on their own accord as opposed to understanding how their impacts, how their actions would impact others. And I think what you're talking about is how we're kind of like a, a bacterial culture, you know, people in general, as like we've, we realize that like the, the propagation of the actual whole, there's more, there's probably more likelihood of greater success when you participate within that um, 
in that within that social construct, you have a greater likelihood of success and success being, you know, your ability to propagate your genetic material at this point. Yeah. And something I, that's also come into my mind too, with all of this is I think a lot of maybe the general trend over the last, you know, maybe 20 years is we've gone to more of a pleasure seeking culture versus more of the stoic uh, nature culture. And I think that's something that if we started to act less to be driven through pleasure seeking, so, you know, social reinforcement, uh, you know, gaining as much money as we can and trying to act, you know, a little bit more towards the social good, I think that could really contribute towards, you know, how do we deal with being herd animals um, and then if we, you know, cause I think like this pleasure mentality, you just, I'm sensing that. And we've talked about this a lot, but what that just, I think like pours gasoline on this fire. Well, and it's so prevalent today. I keep seeing these videos of, well, I follow this one Instagram account where it's called influencers in the wild and they take pictures of people making social media content. So typically people are doing these ass backwards stupid things that end up looking you know cool or engaging from behind a camera mm-hmm. and um tiktok is a fantastic example so TikTok should we explain is, tiktok um, to uh, some of our elder listeners sure um tiktok is a video sharing platform that have got its fame for Um, being the preferred method to share short video clips and for whatever reason dancing to music has become kind of like the way that you do it so people make these like short dancing clips obviously there's a lot of derivations from there and then china gets a shitload of information about who you are and what you're doing (laughs) but that's that's the the basic premise and i think one thing about tiktok that i've you know, when we've had videos sent from our friends, the rate at which they skip to the next video is dizzying. Like if you, if you were, well, you watch this, you know, a friend sends a video that says, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then you click on it. The video, this, the videos are so short and three seconds later, you're, um, you're already into another video that's, you know, already almost started. It just, the the rate of repeat is crazy. Well, this idea of pleasure versus responsibility is so huge when you look at TikTok, because I look at, you know, these two guys or these two girls or whoever is doing this choreographed dance They've obviously practiced this dance for, if, and then they post the, this dance clip of them doing whatever it is. Mm. And they care a lot about it and they put a lot of energy into it and the outcome is, and right, like that's the reason you do that sort of thing is to like build social currency so that you are talked about more frequently. People look at you, they're in your mind. And that to me is, is the very definition of pleasure you're seeking because to a lot of people, attention equates pleasure 
you know, there's like a kind of a direct correlation to I'm, you know, I'm the center of attention that's pleasurable for me. That That's an acknowledgement of who I am as a human being. And these platforms have made, first of all, they make money off of your desire to do that, which is an absolutely wild business model, first of all, that, um, uh, I was once chatting with somebody who said the best business models exploit one of the seven deadly sins. You know, it's a great yeah. business model if you are, you know, running a online gambling site or, you know, porn or food weakness or yeah. weak. Exactly. You're exploiting, you know, infidelity or whatever. Like, um, and, and I think that sort of, um, ex- Ex, um, exploiting like pride, which is, you know, my desire to be viewed in a favorable light, be the object of people's attention has emerged as just this like defining characteristic of a generation. Um, and it, it, it's just been so fascinating to me to watch this, like, cause it's definitely pleasure seeking. There's what is the social good that is developed out of this TikTok video? Sure. Maybe some people will have, a moment of relief. A moment of relief. You know, you could make the same argue with, argument with stand-up comedy or a movie or entertainment. So, yeah, there's some value in that regard. Um, but it all also feels like remarkably empty to me. Totally. And, you know, going off that point when you're talking about weaknesses, I, I read an interesting quote. I was looking up some venture capitalist information and what they said is um, hackers exploit vulnerabilities and that's kind of their job and what a lot of these hackers have done is exploited the human vulnerability so they found ways that we are vulnerable so they're attacking your need for social um for feeling you know accepted by a social group and um for you know pleasure seeking and for this need so i i think it's really been um that's really been i think to a detriment part of our our culture so, yeah, I, I think now the transition, uh, you know, into this time where we have, we have all of, you know, more free time, we're required not to, and to be seeing these newer technologies come out. I think you look at Snapchat, kind of the evolution of these technologies, they are getting rampantly more addictive. Uh, and I think it's, I think kind of the great, great challenge for human beings today is how do we get away from this type of addiction or how do we remove ourselves from uh from this type of connection that we're we're going after i just think that's one of our human challenges and um this naval ravikant i think that's not, i think how you say his name he's a very smart investor i consider him one of the smarter people i listen to said um Today, we have diseases of overconsumption. Those are what all of our diseases are now. Where before we only had diseases of underconsumption. Under-consumption. And so that's been our, you know, you think of like heart disease and, you know, even mental illness. All of these things are the result of overconsumption. Um, so I, I thought I really hadn't heard that term of, you know, this is. This is kind of where our diseases generate from, which is this overconsumption. Yeah, well, you're seeing this 
in the first mover or early adopter community where things like intermittent fasting have taken off like absolute rocket ships. Oh my gosh. And totally. denial. You've got your Wim Hof folks out there. You know, you've got your fasting to solve diabetes folks out there. Um, you know, you've got your fasting to solve drug addiction folks. And I think that there's there's definitely um, a wave of this rebalancing occurring. But yeah, I like to think of it like that in terms of this um, this disease of overconsumption. I think that's a really easy and simple way to understand kind of the, the, um, the peril that a lot of people are in associated with building a life where, um, we've talked about this a bunch before, building a life where scarcity has been you know, almost entirely eliminated. Oddly enough, scarcity is what the media then thrives on to get attention in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, oh, you know, we got to make it seem like these things are very imminent in your life. You're going to run out of toilet paper. You know, you're going to run out of guns. You're going to run out of this or that. So you need to be aware they're playing off of the scarcity thing big time in terms of propagating, you know, mm -hmm. their their ideology getting your attention so yeah I, th I think it's really fascinating and um back to this kind of uh this ple pleasure seeking thing um I, what i noticed with the coronavirus is that um people's it's an amplifier right mm -hmm. that's a great coronavirus is such an amplifier of human behavior well, because what you're doing is you're taking the, the noise that is often occurring in a person's life and you're sucking out a very large portion of it. People don't have as much shit to put on their minds to distract themselves from exactly kind mm -hmm. of who they are really and what they do. And I've, I've been just seeing in myself and in other people how true how actions are becoming so increasingly amplified mm -hmm. because of this situation because of the i i think some of it is the deprivation the creation of the space and then i think some of it is the um is is the the ability to then spend more time with yourself ruminating about what you're about to do i think there's less shit interacting with people's minds than there usually would be so it's like concentrated it's an amplifier it is yeah and i think you know in these moments of stillness people you react i think a little more true to kind of your your nature if you're going to react with more of a pleasure seeking you know, bias, I think that's something that's going to really show in a lot of what you're doing during this time. You know, I think by going out and finding more of the news and trying to find those kind of hits other places that we normally would distract ourselves with going to work, you know, driving kids to, to school, all these games that we're doing, you know, reading the new or the you know paying attention to sports every being obsessed with every sport you know there's just a number of ways we fill our mind 
you know, even work people that, you know, fill their entire day with work, um, you know, and, and don't take the time to think about the direction they're going. And, you know, I've, I've, I've struggled with that one a lot. Um, but it's really easy to distract yourself when you're just going. And this has been a huge shake to, you know, what are, what are you doing? So I think I'm finding myself have a lot, having a lot more time to make decisions and, you know, there's not as much to do. So it's, it, you, you kind of put this microscope on how am I really spending my time? Yeah. And I think a, an easy um, example of this is the um, social protests on um, the social distancing order that you've seen in Michigan. And apparently they're organizing for tomorrow at yep, the United at, at the the Twin, State Capitol. Yep. Soon coming to the Twin Cities. Yeah, a protest coming to we go. Minneapolis. We haven't seen a good protest since uh, I suppose the Women's March has been um, around, but uh, we haven't won any national championships, so we have to defer back to the old Dinky Town riots, which I was privy to. One yeah, that was a good one, one aside about the Dinky Town riots before I get back into um, this idea of of trying to change people in this vacuum and this in this amplifier that is the coronavirus. Well, um, I'll never forget a story of a kid who perfect example about how when there's very little chances of people of you getting caught, like. Um, <laughs> People will do Low much more ridiculous things than they would typically normally would. Uh, this kid, not a not a real, um, not a not a real not a not a national merit scholar. I'll just say that <laughs> he had finished a bottle of vodka, and this was a. I mean, not all himself, but he had he had a bottle of vodka that was empty. He was in the middle of. Um, 7th Street in Dinky Town, which is about three blocks off the main drag, and it was full of people. And he just whipped it straight up into the air and then ran the other direction. And everybody around was kind of like, oh my God, you idiot. What if that hit somebody in the head? And obviously we were kind of laughing and terrified at the same time. But um, I mean, riots in general, geez. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, talk about human behavior on steroids. I think that's like where you, the uh, the pleasure seeking just gets amplified and then you've got the whole group think where you're kind of swept up in this this little mini culture of behavior and, you know, it, things go very wrong. I think college in general, like those four years can kind of be bucketed in, in that type of into a lot of that sort of thing, yeah. mentality. I mean, we, it's just a microcosm of, let's just put a lot of really young kids with, a, with no real responsibility or, you know, oversight. They just are freed from kind of their inside they're inside dogs that are trying to transition to outside dogs and it gets, it's pretty rough. Yeah. And my frustration or a frustration that I experience is when um, you've got this Michigan protest for the stay at home order. Okay. They go and they drive their cars and they're in front of the hospital. And, you know, you see the picture of the doctor trying to 
were, you know, please get out of the way. We can't get the ambulance in. Get out of here. Like, sure, going out and saving the world one man at a time. Hope he feels better about it. But you've got all these people who I received multiple different texts about, you know, I can just feel them in the message about, oh my God, <laughs> these people are so stupid. They're such idiots. Why wouldn't you just stay at home? They're such terrible people. And that mindset is so toxic. So toxic. It is, it's, it, you're throwing gas on the fire when you do that. And what, what happens, you, so obviously these people feel like they have a very legitimate reason to be there. Well, uh, the stat that comes to mind is 22 million Americans don't have a job right now. So what, what's interesting is I think, you know, I've always wondered this is, you know, people that are like really advocating for the stay at home. Do they still have a job? You know, are they yeah. financially secure? These people that are frustrated by the stay at home are, you know, maybe they lost their job. I mean, the unemployment rate is really high. So I think your point of making a decision, like making a judgment on somebody that's protesting isn't really looking at what are they, you know, why are they doing this? You know, what what has caused them to understand I have a risk and then go out and do these things, you know, yet on top of it. Yeah. And, and their, their frustration, feeling the need to go out and express their dissatisfaction to this level. Obviously they're first of, they're not making this up. <laughs> There, this isn't like it doesn't come all, from alt right. It's not alt. You know, this isn't just like the government's going to take away my guns. It's like no, the government is literally telling me I can't go out of my house. <laughs> it's like well, it doesn't feel like yeah freedom. You know, so I yeah. think I think there is a legitimate protest, but I think you're right. The the judgment and the like implying that these people are, you know, less human or they don't have a concern. You know, that's again, that is concerning too, because it's like, that's very oppressive to not have the right to protest. You know, we should all have the right to do these things, you know. Extremely oppressive, extremely arrogant. Super arrogant. Yeah, I was, it's really hard to, to listen to these things because you start to get, you know, like myself, I, I I was getting worked up. So I had to, you know, just turn it off and go do something else. Cause you do get emotional when you start reading some of this stuff. Yeah. And, and all things going back to our philosophical discussion, you know, our philosophical roots really kind of, you know, equal and opposite reaction, right? So you've got perhaps a government that overstepped its bounds in terms of, Hey, broad strokes, you know, you've got mm -hmm. Sweden over there, not doing any quarantine, not experiencing shortages in healthcare facilities, business as usual. Maybe they're, you know, they're doing you a little less odd brush strokes. We, we, one thing we'll really learn about the coronavirus is how people have been oversimplifying 
the entire thing. Well, Just and, stay and home, the data, blah, blah, blah. And the data, yep. too. You know, it's like, okay, let's take Northern Italy, Italy as our modeling, you know, baseline. Well, holy shit, their infection rate is really bad, you know, and they also had, you know, it's like, I think our, like you're talking about these broad, these decisions were made based on a certain data set. And I just don't, you know, I struggle to, to see, you know, this is kind of, and I think what I sent out a, so Edward Snowden got interviewed by Vice. And it was really fascinating because he talked a lot about if we do this contract tracing like South South Korea, they contract trace. So they say contact trace, yep. con- to contact trace. So they say you have been in contact with somebody that has coronavirus and they are using cell phone data to do that. And what he said is, first of all, they're, in the only way you can it, this it has to be individualized for this to be to work well and right now the way we have it set up it's not going to work well you know so he just was advocating for this is a really you know the farther in this direction we go there's a really really thin line between now the government being able to use this information for a lot of really oppressive things which is a lot more authoritarian than I think we're used to in the United States. So that was a really interesting perspective from him because I think he understands a little bit more about what the capabilities are of the information they can use off your cell phone. I mean, everybody, every app you have is attempting to track your location data. And what he was talking about is it pings off towers you know, cell phone towers. So whether or not you turn all your little things off on your phone, it's still going to do a pretty good job of knowing where you are based on what Wi-Fi you connect to. And, you know, so it's not very hard to understand. So I think, you know, as we start talking about some of these measures um, and these broad strokes, you know, decisions that we're making, you know, I think there is a really slippery slope here. Yeah, and um, I, I, I find it fascinating that people think that voicing their opinion is going to ever change anybody <laughs> else's opinion. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's just pathetic. It's almost like people do it to hear themselves talk, and it's totally getting back to that idea of I'm saying this for positive group reinforcement because I'm if I'm saying that all of these people who protest in Michigan are idiots. I'm saying that so that I get acceptance from my peers. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that because I really think they're idiots because if I really thought they were idiots, I would drive there and, you know, be in their faces. Telling you'd, pro- them you'd do an action backwards. You would take an action other than just voice something, you know, like it's a very cheap, uh, non-invasive way of participating. Yeah, I think you're right. If they really felt that this was their idiots, you know, you'd actually do something about it. Yeah, you're you're looking for that you're looking for that acceptance for your p- opinion. You're looking for that groupthink. Um mm-hmm. which also has become extraordinarily apparent and I find myself doing it in terms of I have a need for social interaction with particular people and I'm 
I'm historically a, a fairly, you know, shall we say, um, not isolated isn't the right word, but stoic. Um, yeah, perhaps. Stoic perhaps could be less, um, yeah, less, um, I don't know, emotive, or uh, I don't really seek out connection as readily as perhaps the next person. But I've very much found myself in times being like, oh, you know, I should call them noticeably more often than I would have had this not been occurring, which I've, so I, you know, even though I may not be making these um, as, shall we say, um, public displays of needing social community or social connection, I, I, I'm doing that same thing in, you know, my own way, which, which has been very odd because I've even had discussions with myself about you know, oh, I could give them a call. And I'm like, well, do I really want to, do I really have 45 minutes to, to devote to a, a legitimate discussion? Or do I just have 10 to 20 minutes where I'm just, you know, lonely and thinking that, oh, I could talk, am I looking for a way out of dealing with the silence of being a human being? And I've rattled around and had that discussion many a time in the past, um, in the past weeks, really. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's, that's, something that I think this quarantine has been good because I think it's helped me build more awareness into this automated reaction of why am I making these, like, why am I, why do I believe what I believe? You know, why do we, why do I make this decision to support one side or the other? And, you know, why am I making these phone calls? You know, is this really necessary? Should I be reading a book that maybe fills my head with other ideas that may, and you know, like, I just think there's a lot of consideration being made to my decision-making where before it's a little easier to just fall into a groove and go. Um, and I think, you know, a good thing I've also noticed is, is this for acceptance from a social group? You know, I've, I've really over the last few days that I've been thinking about this, it's really interesting. Because we all want to be accepted as humans into some type of group, and we define ourselves, you know, with, with these kind of labels. So yeah, I and I, that that is very correlated with another topic you've got on here about distance and tribalism. Yeah. So another another thing that I've been thinking a lot about is. You know, a lot of the times that we say, let's just use the example, oh my gosh, those people in Michigan are idiots. Well, if you went and sat down and had lunch with this person and really talked to them, I bet you would come away with a different perspective. So the farther away removed we are from, you know, our fellow human beings, I think that breeds more of this tribalism and some of the more divisive language. Because I think you know, we've all had these beliefs of like, oh my gosh, the kid that bullied me is really a bad person. And then you spend some time with him to realize, you know, like he's had some family issues and is actually a nice person. And you gain a lot more respect by being closer to these people. So that's why I think a lot of this tribalism, you know, I, I think right now there is a little bit more of that going on because we're not able to be close to each other. So I think this tribalism that has been coming or, um, you know, you can think it, there's people are getting farther right or farther left based on this, this crisis. Uh, so that's been a, that's been something that I've noticed, you know, a little more too. 
One hundred percent. I think it's very in line with what we've been talking about in terms of the amplification. I mean, you don't have this. You don't have this melting pot anymore. You have these um, echo chambers where people um, spend their time. And I, I wonder what the implications are of this increased tribalism. It, well, I, I think a, a good a good measure will be the election. <laughs> yep. I think we're going to see a lot of it. Um, you know, one thing that I kind of predict is I think mental health will be more and more of a problem. And I think it will be getting worse. You know, it's interesting. I was speaking to a nurse for a mental health clinic and she was saying they're doing more, they're doing this, video chat stuff yet they're starting to get a huge increase in volume because they're starting to have more people come forward and she was saying now is a really risky time period for some of these these mental health this things because you know people need support and support from humans is a lot easier to give if you're next to them and so video chat she says works really great uh but it's the availability and she's seeing more of the people that are you know they're not they're they're you know by themselves at home they're struggling a lot more so that's but that's something i think is really going to change and i think we're going to start to see ramifications you know six seven eight months down the road of this Hmm. yeah that is interesting what are some other implications of this increased tribalism? I'm, and I'm kind of thinking about it through the lens of an investor because um, we've started a small investment, com- uh, shall we say, club to analyze the potential groundswell of economic activity that could occur um, mm-hmm. after this. <laughs> And it's been a lot of fun to explore um, different uh, stocks that might catch fire. And um, and we've been right, which is kind of we've nice. We've had a couple <laughs> gangbusters already. If only, um, yeah, we got we to gotta, we gotta spring into action here. But a um, um, couple really impressive returns in a day or t- in, in a week. So... Um, I don't know. Increased tribalism. I guess maybe that means people are doubling down on their craft food. You know, I don't know. Um, Cause I heard craft well, is having an absolute banger quarter. Oh, really? So I think one thing, foods. one thing I was looking at is what are the, so if you think about where we spend our money today, um, or let's just say this six months ago, where we spent our money. Well, there is a huge chop of spending has gone down significantly, but I think we're spending it in, in a little bit, you know, in, in greater, like we're spending more on food, on toilet paper, you know, like we're spending it in heavier in other areas, but we're cutting it in some of these unnecessary areas like travel. Um, so I think there's a lot of behavior change with that. If that makes sense. People have regressed to what they trust the most. Hmm. Big box retail, old trusted brands. Those are the things that 
typically because what you lose is you lose the superfluous you lose the superfluous sale you lose the people who are buying the etsy necklace or totally. going art shopping you know at that new artisan place down the road or trying that new restaurant you regress back to the establishment because you are looking for that solid ground Safety. to get you through this uncertain time mm-hmm. like who do i trust well i trust trader joe's i'm gonna go there I don't care if I have to wait in line. You know, I'm not going to go to the local organic shop um, to pick up my food. You know, I'm going to go to a place that I know does a really good job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good. And I think with this whole thing, there's going to be some serious behavior change implications because I think there will be generally less trust in, let's just say, the healthcare system because, you know, worrying about being in big groups, I think that will all, there's going to be a, an impact. You know, I, I don't think people are going to 100% go back to normal. I think there's going to be a little more hesitation. Uh, and I think that will tighten people up. So it's just a matter of where are they going to continue to spend. And I think that's, it's been really fun to hear. I think, you know, your opinion or other our, you know, our family, our cousins and, and family members, uh, their opinion, because it, I think it, you really can see why some of these investment groups, when you get a, a group of people together to, to talk things through, uh, there's a lot of clarity. You know, you just see these different perspectives and if you're doing it by yourself, it's a lot harder. That's for sure. Well, and I've usually got one, maybe two good ideas, right? It's pretty yeah. rare that you have <laughs> six great ideas in a row (laughs) yeah i know that's exactly right if you trust somebody they've got one really good idea well i think we've all kind of had and that's where like each person has had one or two inclinations or good ideas where they know there will be a positive spin i think that's that's a good way to think of it is instead of trying to research four different industries we're extremely tight on one or two that we all have some expertise in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, a good way for us is to turn what everybody sees as a crisis and how can you, as somebody who maybe has some money laying around, you know, how can you turn this into something that's more positive? Instead of saying, oh my gosh, you know, I'm losing all this money. It's, you know, the Warren Buffett way of thinking of like, well, that means everything's cheap right now. So how can you yeah. roll with the punches a little bit and make some good financial decisions? I think I'm really glad that everybody's kind of participated. It's been really fun. Well, and that, that mentality extends so far beyond just the investment community in terms of you're presented with what would be in many regards considered a shitty situation. How do you turn it into, you know, a self-enriching situation, which I think we've talked kind of ad nauseum about, you know, some of the things that we've been able to glean from this seemingly bleak. Uh, I mean, it's given me hope just listening to myself talk because it is tough. It is tough to be inside locked up. Um, You know, I have my, I'm certain I've sure I've certainly noticed being quite a bit more um, short with my 
with my um, sentences and remarks and you know that's that's not the best of me all of the time so I, I'm certainly noticing the uh, some of my own shortcomings in the mix you know when put through these stressors mm-hmm yeah there's definitely more agitation I'd say because there's there's stress internally but you kind of feel stress from other people so it's you know and I I've been reading a lot I've I reread uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius and it's just really, that was a really good book for me to read during, at the beginning of this because it gets you to focus and I think that's where some of these takeaway messages has all, have all come from is, you know, what can, can you solve and what is out of your control and how do you manage that responsibility and just move on? You know, and you can, the only thing you can do is make a decision on, can you, does, can you impact this or not? And then can you move on? And something that's really been interesting to me, and we haven't talked about this yet, is I've been really trying to analyze, you know, the body, because we talked about pleasure. What is the, the difference between like the mind and the body? So where does, because I think pain is such a, interesting kind of example of the connection between the mind and the body and can you you know when something painful happens how do you deal with it because i think there's a lot more research coming out now about pain and how it is so much of a mind almost habit loop uh so that's been something i think uh you know as i've been reading some of the the meditations and thinking about this you know, what, when I'm feeling pain or anxiety, it's where is that coming from and trying to really go, go a little bit further to see uh, where is that coming from? Yeah, I'm of the inclination that there is no separation between the body and the mind. Um, it's, it's more of a, a, a continuum isn't quite what I'm looking for, but and intertwined still implies distinctly separate, but I think they're so interwoven that um, I, I don't see, you know, that's the whole sort of mind-body theory. Um, I don't know if I, I really, you know, I, I think they're much more integrated than perhaps a lot of people um, may think. Yeah, and I think the relationship just, you know, reviewing because I think we all are in a different place in our life and so it's you know I think five years ago I would have thought differently and you know 10 years ago and I'm sure in five years I'll think differently but it's just identifying what that relationship is between the both you know when when I'm perceiving anxiety where is that coming from and what is the the body's impact because a lot of what I've been thinking about is let's just say I get really sick what is that going to do to, you know, how am I going to handle that? I think in my, in my mind and how do you work through pain um, and, and make sure that, you know, cause one thing that I've noticed about pain in the past is there's the event or the pain that comes on. And then there is almost this habitual loop of, Oh, I should be feeling pain. I should be feeling pain. And it, it just, to me, I, I've been really trying to go into that and think about, you know, because I've had some 
you know, little aches and pains as I'm meditating or, or sitting there and, and really understanding what that relationship is. It helps me understand my relationship between my, the mind and body a lot more. So it's just been really an interesting, interesting kind of exercise with all of this time we have now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week and we'll be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room.